Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. I don't think I ever in my own mind think anybody's a villain. You don't find any, anyone really that's all bad. This is the only surviving recording of crime writer Raymond Chandler's voice. It's from a 1958 interview, a year before he died. He's a little hard to understand because, as the story goes, he was extremely drunk. He was drunk a lot, especially near the end of his life. But what he said here is that he doesn't ever think anybody is a villain. You don't find anyone that's all bad. It seems to me that the real mystery is not who killed Sir John in his study, but what the situation really was, what the people were after, what sort of people they were. It seems to me that the real mystery is not who killed Sir John in the study, but what the situation really was, what the people were after, what sort of people they were. He wrote seven crime novels, including The Long Goodbye and The Big Sleep, and introduced the world to Philip Marlowe, a clever, hard-drinking Los Angeles private detective. Marlowe doesn't have the genius of Sherlock Holmes or tuxedos like James Bond. He's just a guy. A little bit philosophical and a little bit flirtatious, but always very, very calm. As Marlowe says in the novel Playback, guns never settle anything. They're just a fast curtain to a bad second act. With a writer as big as Chandler, with archives at Oxford and UCLA, you'd think there wouldn't be much left to discover about his life. But as Lauren Sporer found out, there was one last mystery. And the only people who could solve it were a couple of 70-year-olds, in love with each other and obsessed with Chandler. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. He said Los Angeles had the personality of a paper cup. Yeah, and I think he at some point he also said that somebody had the personality of the inside of a shoebox. So, Lauren Lacker's been reading Chandler since he was 17 years old, and he's now 72, so a long time. Here he is talking to his wife, Annie Theo. What about the one about the blonde that caused the bishop to kick oh, the stained glass window? Oh, she was a blonde, window. the blonde to make a bishop kick in a stained glass window. Yeah, that's his. That's Chandler. Or the one as noticeable as a tarantula on an angel food cake. He he was a master at simile. This is my favorite thing about Chandler. He wrote crazy sentences like, I belonged in Idle Valley like a pearl onion on a banana split. Or, I felt like an amputated leg. He had a way with words, definitely. Lauren has always been a Chandler fan. But Annie says she was more of a casual fan before she met Lauren. He was a completely mesmerized in Chandler and devoted to him and... I'm devoted to Lauren, so it was, <laughs> it was a way of, of really wanting to, um, uh, to understand how 
Lauren thought. It was like, okay, if I can really understand and read enough Chandler, I'll know how he thinks, too. And then I kind of stepped into Lauren's Chandler world. Lauren's Chandler world doesn't just involve rereading the novels and biographies. It's hands-on. He's photographed all the spots in Los Angeles where Chandler lived and all the places that he wrote about. And he's tracked down anyone he can find who knew Chandler. The first person that we met was was Dorothy, his secretary, and she was uh, 82. I had Annie at call the time. her up because Annie's got much better people skills than I do. <laughs> <laughs> we invited her for uh, for a brunch, uh, and uh, that's how we got to know her. Lauren poured over the biographies that have been written about Chandler's life, and what he realized was that every single one has basically the same ending. And not one of them got it right. So here's what you need to know about Raymond Chandler in order to make sense of what Lauren found. When Chandler was young, long before he became a writer, he fought in World War I with a friend of his named Gordon Pascal. This friend Gordon is important because shortly after the two of them got home from the war, Raymond Chandler fell in love with Gordon's stepmom. Stepmother, yes. Pearl Eugenia but she went by the nickname Sissy. And Sissy was um, 18 years older than oh, Ray. 17 or 18, 17, something like 18 that, 18 yeah. years older than Ray. Sissy lied about her age to almost everyone. She cleaned the house in the nude. Lauren and Annie describe her as bohemian, a free spirit. Eventually, she left her husband and became Sissy Chandler. She really enjoyed cooking for him. And they also had this glass menagerie of animals, and they did. they had a lot of fantasy between them. They played with those little glass animals like they were children, and they would make up stories, and and they would hop in their car, and they would go up into the uh, San Bernardino or up in, into, into the, the mountains. local mountains, and it was quite a romance. What do you think that she liked about him? I think that she liked that, uh, that uh, he had the soul of a poet and that he was handsome and that um, she was uh, very... She called him Ramio. Ramio. She's very sexually attracted to him. They were crazy about each other. What some people refer to as soulmates, I think. Chandler didn't start writing crime novels until after they were married. He published his first one, The Big Sleep, at age 51. They were married for 30 years, and when she got sick, he waited on her hand and foot. He'd check her into the hospital, and she'd call right away and say, come get me out of here. And he would, even if it meant she had to go right back because she couldn't breathe. Cystic fibrosis, a fibroid or something that was turning the lungs to stone, essentially. Sissy was 84 years old when she died, and Chandler fell apart. He wrote, for 30 years, 10 months, and 4 days, she was the light of my life, my whole ambition. Anything I did was just the fire for her to warm her hands at. He attempted suicide after she died. He was deeply, deeply depressed, always was an alcoholic, but he drank even more. There was a small funeral, and Sissy was cremated. Chandler was sad and apparently going crazy. In the years after Sissy died, some say he was so lonely and so drunk that he would propose marriage to any woman within earshot. He died in 1959, just five years later. Because no one could find burial instructions, he was buried at public expense by the city of San Diego at Mount Hope Cemetery. Well, about 2010, I was doing some further research and read that Ray 
had wanted uh, his eyes to go to an eye bank. He wanted to be cremated. He wanted to be with Sissy. And I knew that hadn't happened. I didn't know where she was at the time. I knew that she was had been placed in uh, Cypress View and that he was in uh, Mount Hope, the cemetery. I had no idea where they were in relationship to each other or anything at all about that. Uh, I'm thinking, well, gee, he wanted to be with Sissy. He, you know, too late to have his eyes go to an eye bank, but maybe I can bring the two of them together. So what did you do first? Call Cypress View and say, you know, do you have Sissy Chandler there? Uh, well, uh, no, we can't find her. Lauren kept calling and trying to get answers, and each time he called, he got a little bit more information. One time the person on the phone said, oh, Sissy is here. She's on a shelf. It's on a shelf? Yeah, with other, other remains. It was on a shelf. Uh, you know, I'd call again. Oh, the shelf was in the storeroom. <laughs> I got the idea that it didn't seem kosher. Lauren couldn't actually go and see the urn for himself. He needed a family member. I couldn't find anybody related to Ray, and I started tracking down uh, Sissy's relatives, and I, I found a great-great-grandniece and a great-great-great-grandniece, and, and I contacted them. Oh, that's a great idea. Why don't you go ahead and do that? You know, we love it. But that wasn't good enough. Lauren needed someone closer, like a daughter or son. The other option was to go to court, so they got a lawyer. Her name's Aisa Wayne, coincidentally the daughter of legendary actor John Wayne. And lucky for them, the judge turned out to be a Chandler fan. And the judge kept getting rid of all the other cases, like they were just, you know, like ordinary cases, like neighbors fighting or this, that, the other thing. And he kept saying, okay, da-da-da, dismiss, dismiss, dismiss. He wanted to get to our case. In fact, he said <laughs> at, one, at one point, well, I'm going to dismiss this for now because I have a very important <laughs> right. case coming up. He was very excited about it. And so there we were, and, and Isa and Lauren and I down at the table, and there's the judge. And the judge starts asking uh, Well, questions. the first thing out of his mouth was, I'm not inclined to grant this. Right. Convince me. Convince me. And so Aisa had earlier gone to the guy at the um, crematorium and had asked him to be available to be on the phone. So it was like a Perry Mason thing because um, Aisa said, well, Your Honor, we actually have somebody ready to talk to you on the phone. And out of the phone in the courtroom came the voice of the guy at the crematorium. And the judge says, so where is Sissy? And the guy said, in the storage room. We tracked this guy down. He doesn't work at the crematorium anymore and didn't want to be recorded, but he said he remembered talking to the judge. He actually said that Lauren and Annie took up a lot of his time. He kept telling me that Sissy was cremated there before he was even born, and so he had no idea why she was in storage. And then the judge looks back and he said, not just Sissy Chandler, but no one should be left in a room like that where people can't visit them. And he granted the, um, the petition. With the judges okay, Lauren and Annie went to Cypress View, the crematorium where Sissy was being stored. You walk inside, it's all marble. There was one room where they had a fireplace and the niches were like a bookcase. Uh, glass fronts and you'd sit in big 
chair and in front of the fireplace that looked like a library, except that your loved one would be in a niche behind a little glass door, and you could sit and talk to them or you know whatever you wanted to do. Uh, and the the rest of it, the interior was absolutely gorgeous, all marble and. What it so the place was beautiful, but what about the room where Sissy was? Well, I'm getting to that. Now you would bring the casket in, you'd have your service, and then there was this ramp at the back of the chapel that goes down to the crematorium. And you come down facing these two 100-year-old brick cremation ovens. Looked like some kind of Rube Goldberg affair with pipes and peepholes and knobs and valves and things on the front. And two and a half, three foot high, hinged at the top with a hasp and a padlock on it. And that is where Sissy was. And over in the, uh, an alcove to that room was the lawnmowers and brooms and the other things. Her ashes had been on that shelf for 57 years. It's technically called long-term storage, but to you or me, it looks like she got put in a closet. There are two reasons why someone would wind up there instead of being interred. Either because it was the cheapest option or because you just forgot to go collect the ashes. We think that uh, that he kind of forgot to get the remains and bury them like he had intended to do. Lauren also told me that permanent storage is a nice-sounding euphemism for tossed in a box and forgotten. Lauren and Annie arranged another funeral service to bring Ray and Sissy together. And on Valentine's Day 2011, they held the service at Mount Hope Cemetery for about 100 people. And they got some local news coverage. Cypress View Mausoleum could have legally thrown away Sissy's unclaimed ashes in 1959. Actor Powers Booth played Detective Philip Marlowe in a popular 1983 TV series. He read his favorite Chandler quotes during the ceremony. I was as hollow and empty as the spaces between stars. Lauren Lacker is a Chandler buff and organized the day's event. Yeah, Lauren, I'm curious, how do you feel about, I mean, you've kind of written yourself into Raymond Chandler's biography now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I'm not sure how Ray would feel about that, but uh, I was doing it to help Ray. All of his wishes were ignored. So to me, that was, you know, that was something that was wrong and needed to be righted. And so that's why I went out and did that. Last question, and you can just say that's ridiculous, but I wonder if you ever imagine like the, their ghosts sort of saying thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> We're very different that way. In, in my mind's eye, I feel very delightfully that they're dancing around the cemetery. Yes, <laughs> that's what I think. I indulge, Andy. Well, on that level. <laughs> I'm not finished yet. <laughs> I like the idea that you can go to Mount Hope Cemetery to visit Sissy and Ray and also see a little bit of Lauren and Annie. They had a line from their favorite Chandler novel inscribed on the new headstone. It reads, Dead men are heavier than broken hearts. That's Lauren Spohr. Lauren Latker has a Chandler website, shamastown.com, where you can see his brand new Raymond Chandler map. It has 287 QR codes, so you can scan it with your phone and see spots that were either important to Chandler or to his detective, Philip Marlowe. Criminal is produced by Lauren, Eric Menel, and me. Julianne Alexander does our episode art. 
And we have some news. Criminal will be putting on a live show here in Durham, North Carolina, on Wednesday, January 21st. If you live nearby, we'd love to see you. You can learn more on our website, thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter, at Criminal Show. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal.